sports? Do you like beer? Do you love sports and beer? Then you're exactly where you need to be. This is the Hughes Views and Brews Show on 1252 Sports Chicago. Cheers. Hello and a happy Monday to, well, I was going to say White Sox and Cubs fans, but it's not really a happy Monday for either of them as we had another week started in baseball. We are going to have some Bears talk, and why not? The Bears and Ryan Pace actually did some things right in the NFL draft, so we're going to talk about that as well as we do each and every week here on Hubes Views and Brews. And we'll get into the White Sox story in just a second, but I got to pop another for the second week in a row. Got to pop another one of the Goose Island White Sox Golden Lagers. And this is almost like a, a guy crying in his beer. Um, because yesterday, it was Chicago Symmetry yesterday. You had Ian Happ and Luis Robert, both guys that play center field for the respective teams here in Chicago, going down with injuries. Now, Ian Happ doesn't seem to be nearly as serious as Luis Roberts. But both center fielders went out. This on a day that Ian Happ actually had three hits. So, but for the White Sox and Luis Robert, before the season, it was Eloy Jimenez going down. Why, why is it my team can't have nice things? You get Eloy Jimenez. You get Luis Robert. You get all this stuff. You got Michael Kopech a couple years ago. He goes out with Tommy John surgery. It's like the White Sox can't have nice things. I know Cub fans are actually regaling and, the White Sox woes, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about some Cub fans and some a question. I, I put something on Twitter earlier today. Waddle and Sylvie were talking about um, Luis Robert going down, and um, he, Sylvie said something that shocked the hell out of me. And I know Fab Mike has told me I could swear it was a perfect time to say shocked the something out of me, but I'll stick with hell. Shocked the hell out of me. So I mentioned it on Twitter, and I've gotten nothing but comments since. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. But for those who don't know, let me take a sip first. The White Sox lose two out of three to Cleveland. And they scored three runs off Shane Bieber, last year's American League Cy Young winner. So you figure you score three runs off a Cy Young winner, you should do pretty well. Eh, they didn't have enough. Could not win. They went on Saturday. They could not win on Sunday. So they dropped two out of three to the Cleveland Indians. Right now, the White Sox have a 15-12 and 12 record. But in the game yesterday, Luis Robert, going hustling to get down to first base, looked like he stubbed his toe on the way down there and then was hobbling, was writhing on the ground in pain. He has a grade 3 strain of the hip flexor muscle. Now, a grade 3 strain sounds bad until you realize that a grade 3 strain is a tear. Okay? So that means he is going to be out 12 to 16 weeks he cannot begin any baseball activities for 12 to 16 weeks. That's crazy. Four months, who knows what's going to happen after that. How long will it take to get ready? He's going to be pretty much on the same schedule that Eloy Jimenez is right now. So the White Sox lose their left fielder and Eloy Jimenez in spring training. And now they lose Luis Robert for four weeks. Rick Hahn's got to figure out what to do. Rick Hahn's saying it's difficult. It's obviously very difficult. No kidding there. The other thing that Rick Hahn said was that 
it doesn't matter if there's surgery required to fix this tear or just rest and rehabilitation. He's going to be out for the same amount of time. So no matter what happens, he's going to be down for 12 to 16 weeks. So you say, okay, well, that's perfect. You just move Adam Engel to center field. That's been my answer all along. Adam Engel coming back from an injury. For the second time, Adam Engel has had a setback in his rehab. And he is three weeks away from any baseball activities, three weeks away from a rehab assignment. So you figure that's almost a month. So now you've got a month that's a pretty big month in May. You're going to play the Twins. You're going to play the Royals, um, both home and road for Kansas City. You need to play well. So Rick Kahn, no doubt, is going to have to go on out and get somebody. You look at Luis Robert this year, hitting 316. I got to give him credit. I was the guy questioning Luis Robert. I did it before the season started. I was not sure he would be able to hit because of what he did last year in the second half of the season. Had a great first 30 games. Second 30 games, he struggled. Struggled badly and did not look good in the, in the playoffs when they played Oakland last year. This year, 316 on base, just 359. Not walking a lot. He's got one homer and eight runs batted in. A couple errors in the outfield. But you lose Luis Robert with a hip injury. He is down. Now, 12 to 16 weeks, let's just say three to four months. It's a little bit easier that way. So the White Sox are going to have to do something. Now, what I heard, what I heard Sylvie say on ESPN 1000 this afternoon is, does Rick Hahn pick up the phone and, and call Jed Hoyer and say, listen, how about Kopech for Chris Bryant? Bryant can play a corner outfield and we'll move someone to play center field. And I go, are you crazy? Why would the White Sox move Michael Kopech, who they've waited two years for? Michael Kopech had Tommy John surgery, so he did not pitch in the 2019 season. And then the 2020 season, Michael Kopech was out because he decided to sit out because of COVID and some things he was going through, he was going through a divorce and some other things. Why would the White Sox move Michael Kopech, especially for Chris Bryant? Now, Chris Bryant's got some good numbers right now. His slash line... 323 average, 405 on base, and a 708 um, slugging percentage. His OPS is 1.114. Really, really good. Um, and he's playing well right now. He's hitting the ball. Got nine home runs. Hit two home runs the other day. Nine home runs, 22 RBIs. But here's the thing. You're not going to give up one of your future pitchers in Michael Kopech that you've waited for, for a guy you're going to lose. So as a White Sox fan, I'm thinking there's no way you give up Kopech to get a guy like Chris Bryant who's going to be gone at the end of the year. Some of the reasoning people have is that, well, this is a year you're trying to make the playoffs. You're going to go the next step the next step further after making the playoffs last year. No, no, no. You got all these guys signed for long-term deals. Eloy's going to be here for a while. Luis Robert here for a while. Tim Anderson here for a while. You just re-signed Jose Abreu for three years. Some of these other guys are out there. Michael saying, what about reaching out to Puig? Puig is a, a, a troubled, um, he's a troubled soul. Let's be nice. He's a troubled soul. If anybody could help straighten him out, maybe he could play with a guy like Jose Abreu because I'm sure that they ran their paths crossed in Cuba. So that might be interesting. I think he's playing in one of the Dominican leagues right now. That's a possibility. The Sox do have some minor league players that can come up. Luis Gonzalez, Micah Adolfo. Blake Rutherford, who I actually saw last Friday. I saw Blake Rutherford play. I went with my buddies, Larry and Bob, went to um, Schomburg Boomer Stadium and saw the White Sox 
alternate team squad play against the Cubs alternate team squad. Ronaldo Lopez looked really good on the hill. Maybe the Cubs would like Ronaldo Lopez. How about Ronaldo Lopez and another minor league pitcher or outfielder for Chris Bryant? I could see doing that. But the funny thing is, as White Sox fans, myself included, said, what are you, crazy? There's no way we've trade Michael Kopech to the Cubs for Chris Bryant. Cub fans are saying, well, there's no way we're going to take just Michael Kopech for Chris Bryant. Do Cub fans realize that he's gone at the end of the year? You're going to have to move him for something. And if you could get a pitcher, something that Cubs have struggled with in their system, pitching, you have Adbear Alzali. You don't have a lot of pitching in your system. It would be an unbelievable deal for the Cubs to get a guy like Michael Kopech for Chris Bryant. Okay. Yeah, Bryant's putting up numbers now, but the Cubs are off to a 12 and 16 start. They're at the bottom of the National League Central. It's surprising to me how Cub fans don't like to let their guys go away. Okay. My buddy John Rachmamola down in Florida. Thanks for checking in. Um, yeah, the, the Cubs are far away and Bryant likely to leave. So, yeah, that trade makes no sense for a White Sox perspective, but Cub fans turn it around. I don't know. You can you can always jump on if you you hear me. You're also you can also get me on Twitter throughout the course of the week um, at Fred underscore Hubner. I'll look at some of those tweets throughout the course of the week, see if they apply and use them on our Monday night show here. My suggestion, okay. Now this might drive White Sox fans crazy. My suggestion for the White Sox is, if you're going to make a trade, look for a starting outfielder somewhere. Look to a team that is right there on the edge, on the verge, and trade Lance Lynn or Dallas Keuchel. Because the way Michael Kopech is pitching, you can then go Lucas Giolito, and you can go, um, let's see, you go Lucas Giolito, and then you can go with the young guys, okay? They can be out there. So whoever you don't trade, so if you trade Keuchel, you got Lance Lynn. You trade Lynn, you got Dallas Keuchel. So you go Giolito, one of those two that doesn't get traded, Giolito, Rodon, who should have been the pitcher of the month of May from the way he, or April, the way he pitched, 4-0 with a .72 ERA, 25 innings, 7 hits, and 36 strikeouts. And Dylan Cease, who had an awesome outing the other day against Detroit. So there's your five starters. You can do that. And I think that would make more sense from a White Sox fan's perspective. I know you got Lance Lynn to try to win. You traded away Dane Dunning, my guy, who the White Sox lit up a week or so ago. But if you did that trade now, you could move one of those, bring Kopech into the starting role. You still have Garrett Crochet in the bullpen. You have Bummer in the bullpen. You need to get maybe another speed or fastball pitching uh, reliever out there. But you have Foster. You have Hoyer. You have a bullpen that should be able to step up. In my opinion, that's an interesting deal. And if I'm Rakan, I look at that. Maybe move a Dallas Keuchel, who's not been as good as advertised. Lance Lynn, I'd love to keep. But listen, you trade a veteran lefty? unless there's a no trade and they had agreements with either one of those guys. But I think that would make a lot more sense than moving a Michael Kopech. There's no way if you're the White Sox or a White Sox fan, you want to move Michael Kopech. Um, the Cubs, I mentioned, they lose yesterday. They lost two out of three to Cincinnati, a slugfest yesterday, 13 to 12 in 12 innings. Cubs are off to a rough start. Fourth worst record in the national league. They're 12 and 16, uh, 10 homers hit in Cincinnati on Sunday, five by the Cubs. I mentioned Ian Happ, uh, the collision in the outfield. He collides with Nico Horner, and Horner has been tremendous. Horner had the, the game-winning RBI on Saturday. Uh, he's hitting 389, 14 for 36, 
six doubles, eight walks, seven strikeouts, three stolen bases, all this in just seven games. Yeah, he should have been up when the season started. The Cubs decided not to have him up. They said David Bodie was our guy. David Bodie is the second baseman. And what are they doing now? They're playing Horner at second. They're playing Bodie at third. And Chris Bryant's in the outfield. David Bodie right now, as I check the stats, 181, uh, two homers, four RBIs, and um, yeah, 33 strikeouts. Not doing what Cub fans would love to have him do. Now, the Monday night game was postponed. The Cubs and Dodgers are going to play a doubleheader on Tuesday. So you've got the Dodgers, the L.A. Dodgers, for the next three days. Now, the Dodgers have struggled. At one point over the weekend, they were 3-9 and nine over their last 12 games, okay? So they've struggled a little bit, have some injuries, but they don't have injuries at the pitching staff. And the three pitchers the Cubs are going to see, Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Trevor Bauer. So it's Bueller against Hendricks, Kershaw against Alzali, and Bauer against Arietta. So it's going to be very interesting to see how the Cubs, whose bats came alive yesterday, Thanks to, you know, the long ball. Thanks to Ian Happ with three hits, Nico Horner hitting the ball. They came alive. I'm eager to see how they do against the Dodgers. Should be a fun uh, doubleheader of baseball out at the friendly confines on Tuesday. So um, Cubs 12 and 16. They dropped two out of three over the weekend. The White Sox 15 and 12 after dropping two out of three. They had a nice homestand, but uh, not as nice as it could have been with a couple of struggles there. Um, again, Chris Bryant is playing really well. I, I've been saying for the last couple of years, Chris Bryant and Javi Baez, you throw Javi Baez low and away or high in the zone, you can get him out. You see Javi hit a rocket for a homer. I think he went 445 or something like that. I looked at the replay right below the waist. You wonder sometimes what pitchers are thinking. If you throw Javi or Chris Bryant to strike, they're going to hit it. You can get Javi out by not throwing him strikes. But listen, Cub fans, got to be happy when there's pitchers out there that are making mistakes and throwing Javi a strike. He can hit it, and he can rip it, and hit it a long way, and he's been doing that the last couple of weeks. So we'll see how things go against the Dodgers this week. The White Sox have a weird schedule. They have Monday off, play Cincinnati, two games, Tuesday, Wednesday, then have Thursday off, then play in Kansas City, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then have the following Monday off. So from Monday the 3rd for the next Eight days. The White Sox have five games in eight days, followed up immediately by 10 games in nine days. Wacky schedule. The pitching staff's going to be tested a little bit with 10 games in nine days. We'll see how things work out. We'll see what they do for an alternate and or an answer to the center field position. It's not just an alternate. You're not just bringing a guy up for a week or two. You lose Luis Robert for three to four months with an injury. It's a shame to see because he was hitting the ball. He was doing all the things that I was hoping to see this year. Didn't know if I would. I'm eating crow. There's no doubt. He is doing what he was supposed to do. Now, the last several years, Bears fans had hoped that their guy, Ryan Pace, their guy, Matt Nagy, would do what they're supposed to do. This week was the draft, the NFL draft. And on Thursday night, I traveled out, out to Lockport, my, my future home. Uh, I'll be moving out to Lockport sometime next year. And went to Nick and Ivy. And at Nick and Ivy, we sat and ate like slobs. And I did it with this guy. He is the brains behind 1252. It is oh. Fat Mike. Mike, how about some of that pork belly that we stole from the Chamber of Commerce people? I know, right? Wasn't that delicious? I had like 35 pieces of that. I pre I'm pretty sure I ate the last like 42 pieces of it. 
Yeah, it's real nice when they put it on toothpicks. We could just grab it as we walk by. Yeah, you know, you know COVID restriction. You got to grab them by the toothpicks. You know, sure. I, the problem was I was walking away with ten toothpicks at a time. That was the problem. <laughs> yeah, so we had we had fun. Went out to Nick and Ivy last Thursday. Watched the draft. The Bears were supposed to have the twentieth pick. You're pacing a little bit, trying to figure out what they're going to do. At that point, when you're eating pork belly or sucking down some beers, you were probably thinking, okay, no chance for a quarterback. We're going to get offensive tackle in the first round, correct? Yeah, I mean, that's the way I was hoping I was going. That's the way I hope it was. I hoped it was going. Um, I was not looking forward to a trade-up at all by any means. Uh, I, I really wanted them just to solidify that O-line. Like, I've been calling into your show on ESPN 1000. I've been yep. saying here all over 1252. I've been saying this for the last two years. It all starts up front. The way to move the ball in today's NFL, and even in NFL years and years and years ago, you have to have an offensive line to win the game. you got to have the offensive line to move the ball. You don't score points unless you have an offensive line. Yeah. So I was thinking hopefully the Bears stay there at 20, get the best offensive lineman available, whether it, whether it would have been Christian Derrissaw or whomever, and just ride it on out. But they surprised me. They, they really did. Moving up moving up nine spots, trading with the Giants, and grabbing uh, grabbing our now quarterback, Justin Fields. I, was, I wasn't happy about it then, <laughs> but after day two of the draft, I've calmed down, and I really like what the Bears have done with this draft for sure. Yeah, that was an expletive, I think, as soon as they announced that uh, the Bears have selected Justin Fields. Now, one of, your, one of your reasonings, and it's not the only one I've heard – you're not the only one saying this. I've heard a lot of Bears fans say the same thing, is that Ohio State doesn't doesn't really – it's not a haven for quarterbacks. You don't get a right. lot of them out there. And then when they do play well, they come to the pros and don't play well at the next level. Now, right. a lot of people have said that Justin Fields is, is the difference there. Um, plus, many people have said that they compared him and Trevor Lawrence, and some even had – him ahead of Trevor Lawrence when they're looking at quarterbacks. No, definitely for sure. Trevor Lawrence is a stud. I mean, let's let's not let's not kid anybody. We all know what Trevor Lawrence is going to be in today's NFL. He is the prototypical type of quarterback that sits back in the pocket, finds the open receiver by checking all of his reads and tossing the ball to the whoever's open. That's Trevor Lawrence. That's your that's your that's this draft's Peyton Manning. That's this draft's Eli Manning. That's this draft's you know Big Ben. Philip Rivers, so on and so forth. He is the prototypical stage quarterback. That's what he is. But today's NFL is a little different. You got to have a mobile quarterback. A lot of teams like to run the RPO. A lot of teams like to, you know, a lot of checkdowns and just getting the ball out real quick, real fast. Justin Fields excels at that. He's great in play action. And in a pinch, he's not the guy that's going to sit back and just wait for a sack. He can scramble. We we in, in his forty time this year was a he ran out like a four three eight I believe okay. a four three eight forty so when he wants to run he's the fastest quarterback in the NFL and that's exactly what the Bears just got he's putting up quicker lightning legs than Lamar Jackson who's running for a thousand yards a year that's yeah. the type of quarterback we got and it's 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 special it's really special one of the things that I had a problem with when it looked at Nagy and Pace is I. They would have never admitted it to anybody. But I think they told Mitch Trubisky not to run when Mitch came back from injuries. And you're not going to be able to do that with Justin Fields. You're going to change what you want Justin Fields to do. A lot of people called the radio station over the weekend after the deal was made and said that you're going to have different offensive systems with Dalton and with Justin Fields. Not necessarily, I mean, I've been told by people much smarter than me, not different systems, but you'll have different packages for a guy like Justin Fields. You'll have called runs that you won't have for an Andy Dalton. And I think 
that this is the this is Matt Nagy's time to shine because he was in Kansas City. He saw what they did with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, let him sit and learn for a year behind Alex Smith, who had a tremendous year that year for Kansas City. The next year, Nagy comes to Chicago. Patrick Mahomes becomes you know you know the best quarterback in in uh, the NFL right now. But don't don't you think this is our chance to see exactly what Nagy can do as an offensive guy? Definitely, for sure. And with this draft going, you know, obviously today we really we, the Chicago Bears released Leno. So yeah. now Tevin Jenkins is going to fill that role. It's pretty much made set in stone after that releasing there. You also save $9 million while doing so. And that pretty much solidifies Tevin Jenkins, Tevin Jenkins having a starting role on this line. And it, it's fantastic because you got to see what Justin Fields can do. But, yes, this year is a make-or-break year for Matt Nagy, I would believe. I mean, that's all fine and dandy. You went out and finally did something in the draft the, the, the right way, the correct way, what I've been begging and pleading for. For the last five years, it finally came to fruition on my end. But now it's put up or shut up time. I'm not expecting them to, you know, with the added game this year, 17 games. I'm still maybe possibly only expecting six wins. And that's that's, my, really? that's my ceiling. Yeah, that's my ceiling. Holy cow. That's my ceiling. I mean, their, their schedule is a very tough schedule. They play almost yeah. every single playoff team from last year. And it's going to be a tough schedule for those guys. I'm, I'm an optimistic uh, – I'm an optimistic Bear fan, but I'm also the – it's not the glass is half full. It's not the glass is half empty. It's the glass is where it is with me. And this team has a lot, a lot of growing up to do. They got to cut cap. They got to fill voids. And six wins is my max for this team. The the reason you were surprised the Bears traded up, was it because of all the failures that Brian Pace had had in the past trading up? Or did you just not, did you just think they were going to sit there and wait? Because I think, most people, most Bears fans have gotten upset with that with Pace for two reasons. One, his picks have been awful. And right. two, he's he's moved up to take bad picks and given away a lot of other things. Now, this time he gave away a first rounder, but you know what? It didn't seem to be as bad um as you know as other years when he's given things up. It seemed like sitting there being a little patient and helped him out a lot. And well, the uh... In previous drafts, Ryan Pace has given up a lot of draft capital. I mean, obviously, for the trade for right. Mitchell Trubisky, we given a we given we gave away another first round pick that year, first round pick, so on and so forth. This year, this trade made a lot more sense. You know, you gave up this year's twenty, next year's first round. Okay, whatever. But if Justin Fields pans out to do what he, to to be what we all think he's capable of being, it's a fantastic trade. Look at what San Fran gave up to move up the three to grab Trey Lance. They yeah, gave away a haul. So yeah. it's almost you know. That trade is very incomparable to what the Bears did to move up to grab Trubisky. San Fran gave up a haul this year to grab Trey Lance. The Bears gave up, what, a first this year to trade up to 13? Or yeah. to trade up to 11, I apologize. Trade up to 11. Next year's first round and a four. Yeah. Okay, cool. I know. I'm, yeah. I'm okay with that. I'm definitely okay with that, for especially for a quarterback who everyone believes is – the second or maybe the best quarterback in this year's draft class. Okay, now the easy question is to ask, can Fields start, should Fields start? Now, I think I probably even asked that yesterday on the radio on ESPN 1000 with Mark Zander. But the question really should be, is Justin Fields going to be given the opportunity to gain a starting spot? Because do you think going in they're going to say, listen, Andy Dalton's a guy you're going to have to sit and learn? Or do you think they're going to say, here, let's go on out and see who does best? I think Justin Fields has every opportunity to be starting quarterback week one this year, hands down, without question, especially because of all the rumors that we're hearing today that they contacted Andy Dalton on the day of the draft. 
right. before they drafted Justin Fields. They talked to him after the draft. Hey, are you still okay with us having Fields? I think Fields has amp- every opportunity to be starter week one. Now, that being said, do I think he should be starter week one? No. I think you go out of the gates, you come out of the gates with Andy Dalton, just let the game come to Justin Fields. There's a big difference in speed, strength, and everything when it comes to this level of football. You want to make this guy acclimated to that real quick. That's what that preseason is for. If he comes out of the gate and blows Andy Dalton, Andy Dalton out of the water, by all means, start this kid week one with a brand new offensive line, looking good, looking you know big, beefy, and protecting him. I'm all game. But you do not want to risk this kid's health behind a makeshift old line. You just got to be got to be patient. Got to be careful with him. Uh, some people say they had Tevin Jenkins with a first round, um, you know, first round review. And he goes in the second round. The Bears moved up from 52 overall to 39. They move up for the second time in two days on Friday and get the offensive tackle that that they liked. Again, somebody had uh, they had first round grades on him. Were your thoughts? Was he one of the guys that you would have been happy with if they got him at 20? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. He okay. was definitely one of those guys. Rashawn Slater was another one of those guys. Elijah Vera Tucker was another one of those guys. But, I mean, Tevin Jenkins going into day two, he was the number one tackle on my list outside of Jalen Mayfield, Liam Eichenberg, Samuel Cosme. And there's another one floating around out there that I, I'm forgetting his name. But the Tevin Jenkins was number one on my list. And when they moved up to grab him, I was that made me feel so much better about the Bears moving up on day one to grab Justin Fields. When they went out and grabbed Tevin Jenkins, it put my all my skepticism, all my nervousness at ease because we finally got a big, mean offensive lineman. That's exactly what the Bears have needed for years. Yeah, I've asked the question over the last two days on the radio. I asked the question, when was the last time the Bears had a offensive lineman that brought nastiness? And it's a shame they may have to go back to uh, Roberto Garza and Olin Cruz, but yep. it, it might be that long because since then you've had a bunch of other guys who didn't bring that nastiness to the line. Right. And uh, I've said over and over, I like what Mustafer and Byers did, not only what they did on the field, and I know they did it against lesser teams at the end of the year, but they also were running downfield and picking up their receiver after he got tackled and picking up their running back and being there if some guy was laying on him a little too hard. And it looks like with those two and also with Tevin Jenkins, they're going to be an offensive line to be reckoned with. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, you could even go to say as far as, like, the last time the Bears had a nasty offensive lineman, yeah, of course, Olin Cruz or Berger Garza, those guys are definitely in there. James Big Cat Williams is definitely in that mix. Yeah. Uh, a, a guy that was supposed to be in that mix was Kyle Long. Unfortunately, yeah. Kyle Long couldn't stay healthy. That was Kyle Long's problem. Now, he's back in the NFL today. He's out ring chasing with KC, so let's see how that works. But Tevin Jenkins, this kid, he he's – He's a meanie. That's what my mom, my mom called him a meanie today. He's a, he's a big meanie, she said. I'm like, I'm, like, you're, I'm like, you're right, Ma. He's a big meanie, but that's exactly what the Bears need is a big meanie. So. Well, and the other guy they took, the other guy they took from Missouri in the uh in the later round, uh, Larry Borm. He's from Missouri and he's he's the same way. He Mizzou. says he's, Mizzou. he's nasty. Missouri, that's right. He's yeah, uh he's he's uh he's nasty. He's a guy that plays that way and I think they need some of that stuff, and that hopefully he'll be there. I'm trying to figure out what they're going to do with James Daniels, okay? James Daniels was good at Iowa. Iowa had a lot of good offensive linemen coming out. He was good. We got here, had some problems, then he got hurt. Cody Whitehair moved from the center back over to the guard position. I'm eager to see what they're going to do with Daniels because um, with Daniels, Whitehair, Mustafer, Bars, you still have Jermaine Effetti, who will probably be at the right tackle to start the right. season and then move Jenkins at the left side. It's nice to see if they all come through, but 
I'm eager to see because Daniels is still a young guy. We'll see what they can what they can figure out with him. I would imagine Daniels starts starts off the year at, at right guard. You know, I, okay. would, I would imagine that I was I would imagine that it goes left tackle through 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 right tackle. I would imagine it goes Jenkins, uh, Whitehair, Mustafar, Mustafar at, at Mustafar at center, and then uh, Daniels, and then Fetty at, at right tackle. That's what I envision. That's kind of how it was playing out last year a little bit with Fetty at the right tackle position. He did a did a better job there last year towards the yeah. last, and like you said. Now I know. Listen, I, I called your show many plenty of times. Yeah, saying you, you know, listen, they only play who they can play. I know that's your argument, and I understand that. But with just just having Mustafa at center, moving Cody Whitehair back to his natural position of guard, having an actual left tackle or in a, a swing tackle, and having like you said, Larry Borum, who's a swing tackle, he could play right or left from Mizzou. I mean, hey, we're looking good. So if Fetty starts, you know, you know, messing his pants there, and you know, yeah. dropping dropping trowel, then we got we got a big. <laughs> We got another big tackle, swing tackle in, in the mist. And one last thing, and uh, people are starting finally to listen to me, maybe. I don't know. I've never been a big grades guy because, you know, we have no idea what all these guys are going to look like. You draft, you draft based on what they do in college. Uh, who knows what's going to happen? And I talked to Jeff Dickerson yesterday from ESPN and asked him, and he said, finally, they stopped making them ask for grades because all the NFL Nation guys would have to come up with grades and they'll have to right. come up with preseason records and all the other kind of stuff. Uh, what's your opinion on draft grades? Because it seems like, you know, <laughs> some of the experts out there, they come up with their own ideas. Um, I think sometimes if I hear see a consensus of several, then maybe I, I believe a little bit in them. But I look at him basically with a grain of salt, and I'm happy that slowly but surely people are starting to phase him out a little bit. Right. Yeah, no. Draft grades are pretty much a no-duh when I look at him. Obviously, yeah. you draft Trevor Lawrence, you're getting an A. Duh. <laughs> you draft Peyton Manning at number one, you're getting an A. Duh. You know, that's kind of how I look at draft grades. I stopped paying attention to draft grades when Russell Wilson was drafted because they also got Cam Chancellor, and they also got Brandon Bowden, and, you know, they got another – I think they had another big wide receiver in that draft as well. And it was a it was a complete joke, like and they they gave Seattle an F. Okay, They're like Russell Wilson may not even start ever again. May not there even start go. a single game. Like okay, and now looking back, you know what's it ten years now? Yeah, Russell Wilson's on a, a fast track to the Hall of Fame up there in Seattle with a Super Bowl. You know, it's draft grades are a joke. I mean, they they yeah. they truly are. But I mean, like I said, it's 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 a duh. It's a duh moment. You know what I mean? Everybody, yeah. I, who knows? I'm gonna I wonder how many people gave Ryan Leaf an A. And the San Diego Chargers are right, uh, 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 a draft grade of an A when they drafted Ryan Leaf, you know. So yeah, yeah, I know, pretty amazing. I, I read a book about uh, about the draft and uh, all about the whole situation about how Peyton Manning came. Peyton Manning came to all of his meetings and he was exactly he was prepared. He said, "Here's what we're going to do. Here's what I want to do." Ryan Leaf was just he missed a meeting. He wasn't around. It's like okay. Sometimes right. somewhere along the line, guys get what they deserve. And Ryan Leaf apparently <laughs> got what he deserved. Um, hey, thanks for jumping on. I know you're on the other side, so all you had to do was flip a switch. So I knew you were going to be around. But oh. uh, I love yeah, I love talking Bears. I love talking football with you. Uh, so people can usually see. I know you're taking a hiatus. You got you're off for a few weeks, right? Yeah, we got to. I got to do a lot of wedding planning on my end. So it's 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 the nice kind of kick back and relax. I still got a lot of work to do here at twelve fifty two. But I mean, I'll uh, I'll be taking a couple week hiatus from from the Fat Mike Chicago Sports Show and just kind of kicking back and planning wedding stuff or else Megan's going to kill me. So yeah, well, I, I tell, I don't know if I've told you this, but I've told all my friends and I tell any, I told my wife this before and I tell my girlfriend, Linda, um, 
I'm just shocked that women even give us a look. So, I mean, we, 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 better, we better be happy with what we get because, right. man, oh, man, anytime we get a chance for a woman to take a look at us, we got to be amazed. You know, it's just absolutely amazing. So yeah. uh, I know you and I are both very, very lucky people. So uh, good luck with those, and uh, we'll definitely be talking with you soon. And there's so much stuff on 1252. It's great. You guys making the big news a couple of weeks ago with uh, the crazy Jim McMahon and everything else like that. Yep. But people forget you had Yurko on the same show. That's going to be yeah. the trivia question down the road. Yeah, Yurko. exactly. That's exactly. right. Yurko is one of the keys. So, Mike, thanks. thanks. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate it, man. We'll talk soon. Okay. Fat Mike, He does, he's the brains behind 1252 Sports Chicago, a guy that sets all this stuff up. He came and asked me if I would be interested in doing a podcast. I've been wanting to do one for years. And finally, Mike got me to do one. I said, as long as I can talk about beer as well. I said, because I know sports and I kind of know beer. I'm not the guy that goes, oh, I smell this hops and this, this, the um, Citra and the Citra. No, no, I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that, good, I like it, goes down well, I'll have another. That's the kind of beer drinker I am. A lot of people will ask me, do you like this, do you like that? I'll tell you what I like. Uh, usually it's a lot. Um I can usually tell you what I don't like, but it's funny. And in this day and age, people with on Yelp and all the other stuff, if they have a bad meal at one place, they like go oh, and they just skewer the, the restaurant. It might've been a bad day. It might've been something awful. If you have a bad meal or a bad beer over and over again, that's fine. And untapped one of the beer uh, apps that you can rate your beers and stuff as you drink them. I never give a beer a bad rating. If I taste the beer and I don't like it, I'll just, I may not even rate it or review it, but if it's something I like, I'll review it and say why. Because everybody that's out there making beer is trying to make something they like, something that's good. And some things may not work. And if it doesn't work, it's not going to be there for a while. That's the nice thing about all the craft breweries that are out there. If they make something that's not working quite as well, then that's the way it would be. Christian said, hey, Carmen's got his Whiskey Wednesdays. I should have Tipsy Tuesdays. Or, you know... Way too much Mondays, one of the two. And we're going to talk more beer in a moment. Um, Mike also mentioned, Mike also mentioned that the Bears made the announcement today that they were releasing Charles Leno Jr. Two things. I have a problem calling anybody juniors, and this went all the way back to Ken Griffey, except that, except that when Ken Griffey was playing, his dad was playing. So you pretty much had to say Ken Griffey Jr. When Cal Ripken was playing, his dad was a third base coach. So if you said Cal Ripken was at the plate, you didn't confuse him with the other guy. So in the NFL, there's all these juniors and the thirds and senior and Steve Smith senior and all that stuff. I have a problem calling any, I'm the third. I don't usually go around saying, uh, yeah, Fred J. Hubner the third, how are you? Um, I don't need it on the back of my jersey, but I should get a jersey that says Hubner the third on it just because of that. But um, Charles Leno Jr. gone from the Chicago Bears. And I'm seeing a number that says he started 93 games. 93 games? That just goes to show you how bad the Bears' offensive line has been. Because if you've been a Bears fan and you've watched Charles Leno start 93 games at the left tackle position, man, oh, man, that was has been absolutely brutal watching that. And um, Bobby Massey finally left. When Bobby Massey came here from Arizona, he was not very good. And he never got much better. Um, Charles Leno was there. 
I think it was Troy Aikman that called him. Oh, I'm going to mess it up. He called him like, you know, the um, oh, holding machine or the personal foul machine or something like that, or false start machine, something like that. Yeah, Charles Leto, for a seventh round pick, he made money. Congratulations. But I'm glad the Bears are moving on from Charles Leno Jr. There will be a new left tackle for the Chicago Bears. And it appears it's going to be Tevin Jenkins, even though he played, I think it was 85 of his games at the right tackle position. Jenkins, when he was on his Zoom call with the Bears the other day, said, I can play right or left, and I can play either guard position, and I've been snapping in practice. So he's all set. He can do absolutely anything necessary for the Chicago Bears to help them out. And um, that's what we're all looking forward to doing, okay? Um, my beers, every week I always have a beer segment. And sometimes I'm just talking about beers. The last couple of weeks I've had um, different people on. I had uh, Paul and Emily Slayton on last week from uh, Skeleton Key Brewing. I had uh, Eric Schmidt from um, Orange and Brewer on. And I am going to tip a Goldfinger, my back, as we bring in our next guest. Because I read in the paper that these people were starting a brewery for just lagers. And I said, well, how the hell is that going to work? So we bring in Tom Beckman and his wife, Allison. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. How doing great. How are you? We're doing real well. I, I, I had just one Maybach left, so I had to make sure I saved it for the show tonight. But uh, I remember seeing in the art, uh, an article in the paper or a little blurb somewhere that there's going to be a new brewery opening up. This was about a year or so ago. And it said, and they're just going to make lagers. And I said to myself, hmm, that's unique. That's rare. That's not something you see with all the people cranking out their IPAs and their milkshake IPAs and everything else. But for you guys, for you, Tom, it's a it's a family thing. It's not just that you didn't just decide you're going to make lagers, did you? No. Uh, our family, our ancestry, actually the last name, Goldfinger is what led us to naming our brewery Goldfinger Brewery because back in the 19th century, my family had a, a pretty sizable brewery if you consider what brewing was back then. Um, so we wanted to pay homage to the styles that they were producing. Uh, it was right at the kind of the peak of when lager yeast had overtaken Europe. Uh, okay. It's a fairly new style of beer at the time. So we wanted to pay homage to them plus my formal brewing education was in Germany, so I, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid while I was in Munich and also fell in love with the European style. So it just made sense that uh, that's what we were going to focus on. How difficult was it for you to do that? Or I mean, because it was in your, I mean, growing up, how much it, into it were you as, as opposed to just drinking it? How, how much in, into it were you? Well, um, I actually had started homebrewing with my brother. Um, okay. This was this was when we were living in the city. We were living in a high rise, actually, and we were just making beer on the stovetop. Um, and it was right around that time that we we had discovered uh, some cousins back in Warsaw, and they had been digging up a lot of the history of our family. And my brother and I were just absolutely addicted to to making beer. We were wondering why we love doing it. And it turns out it's actually in our blood. So uh, <laughs> years later, um, I was working corporate, Joseph, my brother was working as well. But years later, I just, just determined, I decided to uh, dedicate my career to brewing. Um, so 
it it took several years for us to get to this point, but there was always the goal in mind to revive the old family business. So we we dug up some amazing artifacts from that era. A lot of it is the inspiration for a lot of our design and our logos and mm -hmm. of course in the beer styles that we produce. So Allison, when you meet Tom and he tells you he's this much into beer, I mean, <laughs> did it take a while for you to buy in? Well, I I would say I was a beer drinker before, but more of a, a Bud Light kind of girl. Sure. Um, <laughs> but now uh, when we started dating, I definitely became more into beer. And once he said he was going to quit the job that we actually met at, I wasn't uh, truly bought in that it was actually going to happen. And now we're married and have a brewery so it's pretty crazy <laughs> yeah and 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 COVID didn't make it easy i mean uh you guys basically you opened like a week or two right before right before right after COVID started right we opened july 31st of 2020 okay. okay so i think i think places were sort of opening up right uh right around then after they everything had been completely shut down but yeah, we, we broke ground on the building in 2019, September of 2019. Okay. We were hoping to be open by April of 2020, but uh, obviously COVID happened, March, everything shut down and that delayed us. Um, so we didn't get to open our doors until the end of July. Well, and you mentioned that as one of the questions I had down here, when you guys picked the place you're going to have it, thank goodness for you that you had outdoor space because that's where I've had, I mean, for the first how many months with, with the tents you had and the heaters you had, I'd go there on a Friday night. It might be 35 degrees out, but the heaters were cranking. I'd sit and have a couple of beers. That outside space had to be a savior for you guys. Yeah, you were one of the brave ones that, <laughs> that, that froze through your beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. I mean, that, was, that was so key for you guys because otherwise I don't know how you could have kept going. We, we wouldn't have made it. Uh, and I'll never forget, I think it was two weeks into our opening, my landlord came over and sat down in the in the beer garden. And uh, she pulled me aside and she said, I know that we spent months debating about this, the parking lot and how much of it you guys could have in your lease. And we fought to have get the whole parking lot. Sure. And she she said, I never understood why you guys were pushing so hard. I mean, there's plenty of parking here. And sure enough, thank God you did, because look at this. It's it's true. Yeah. I know you you guys had a love for lagers. And how concerned were you with that, the way everything else was going and all the other breweries that were opening, that it was going to be a tough, a tough thing for people that are so much into the craft beers to come back to the lagers? I mean, because let's be honest, Allison, some of the beers – you know, they're reminiscent of Budweiser or Miller or stuff like that. They're lagers and they take a while to make. So how difficult, how concerned were you guys? Well, um, a little, a little concerned. I had a lot of people ask when we were going to brew an IPA. Sure. Uh, the funny thing was I, I used to work for Lagunitas, so I was brewing okay. IPA on a daily basis, but, um, I wish I could take credit for making lagers uh, more uh, popular in the area and more popular amongst craft beer drinkers. But it's actually thanks to many of the breweries before us that slowly started to chisel away at this notion that lagers also can be flavorful. They can also be be craft. 
Um, we just we just essentially decided let's do this. Let's do this for our family. Let's do this for every our friends, all of us. We love drinking this beer, and let's just work on brewing the best possible beer, and essentially just cross our fingers that other people enjoy it too. And thankfully, and, people have been enjoying do. it. <laughs> yeah, they certainly do. There's no doubt about it. We, uh, I remember one day, it, it was the second or third time I was there sitting outside, and I looked at you and I said, you're, in, you're not going to have any problems. You said, what are you talking about? There was a table of, I'm, I'll be 64 next week. There were a table of guys that were probably close to 70, and there were six of them. And they were on their second or third beer, and they probably walked over from the neighborhood. And I said, if you can get them to come on out and drink the lagers, they'll come out. You'll get us because we're going to be, we're going to want to see what it's all about. And I think that's what's happened. So when you go there on a daily basis, we'll, you'll you'll see people in their 20s. You'll see people in their 60s and 70s, even beyond me, sitting there drinking. And that's one of the coolest things is that you you've brought everybody together over their love of beer. I, I remember you telling me that, and yeah. you were absolutely right. One thing that Allison and I always talk about is, so when I was in, it, what? Yeah. So when I was in Munich um, studying brewing, Allison came to visit me, and this was during the winter, so we, there, the beer gardens were closed by then, but in Munich, there are Christmas markets all over the city, pretty much mm -hmm. every square beautiful and it was one of our favorite things to go to and you'll you'll be sitting there drinking a beer or a glue vine and next to you will be like four generations of a family and sure. everybody's having a good time so that's something that we wanted to make sure to establish in our in our brewery and so far it's been working your your staff is um when you guys first started you're in the back brewing and Allison's doing whatever she's doing and and then you look and you know Janet comes and helps her and Evan comes and helps and they're like it's so great because they they're so kind to everybody and they make everybody feel at home and help out because <laughs> when a lot of people come in they look at your they look at the list of beers and you'll see an original the pills and a Vienna sometimes you'll have three it's like well don't you have anything else it's like well no <laughs> But we're making this. Um, but they were so great at saying you should try this and knowing what to tell people and how to help them out. I think your staff really did a did a great job of helping everybody out because I've never seen anybody upset. Uh, I know we're drinking beer, but I've never seen anybody upset <laughs> in that room. And I think a lot of it had to do with how how well your staff helps people. Yeah, that was definitely a big part of hiring people. Uh, all of our employees. Um, have been there from day one. We mm -hmm. recently hired two new people. So I think they've really become part of our family and they share the passion and love behind the brand. So they're definitely willing to go above and beyond. Yeah, it's great too, because when I follow them on social media, when they leave your place, a lot of times they're out at another brewery posting a picture right. of drinking something from somewhere else. So that's but, great. But always sporting the Goldfinger brand. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and, and I got to ask you because you're wearing the shirt and two things. We'll talk about the we'll talk about the turn first and and the the spigot but that you have on because when people walk in, I know you did a whole piece on it on your Facebook a while back, but it's a little bit different the way that the pour comes through than a normal beer. Explain your shirt and explain what that does for the beer. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my shirt features four side pole taps. And if you look closely, it's actually an image of our own tap. So it's a, the perspective of looking straight on them. 
but in place of the stars for the Chicago flag. Right. Uh, and we're kind of uh, side pole faucet nerds at uh, at Goldfinger. <laughs> so these faucets are all from Prague, from Czechia. And we had always wanted to serve our beer out of this because with lagers, most, most of it is like nuanced flavor. It's not about big, bold flavors. And one thing that helps kind of bring out that flavor is uh, the side pole faucets. And so every single one of ours is a side pole, which basically creates a nice dense wet foam on each beer. And it, it sort of opens up the beer a, a little more. So we got so into them that we wanted to put them on a t-shirt and maybe some other apparel coming soon. <laughs> sure. Well, and, and Allison, how much did you have to met, let the staff and everybody know? Because I remember the first time I ordered a pills and I've seen other people and people will order and out comes the Vienna and out comes the original <laughs> lager and the other person's yeah. waiting and waiting. How long did it have take for you guys to do a good job of explaining it to them, but explaining it takes a little bit longer to pour the pills? I think from day one, that was part of their training that it was if they're new and they don't understand it, we have the description on the menu, but not everyone fully reads that. So just letting them know like, hey, it's going to be an extra couple of minutes. Here's why. And then, you know, when the beer gets delivered, like your pills should be out in a couple more minutes. Um, so I think from day one, the staff has tried, you know, to explain the reasoning behind that or mm -hmm. if asked, know how to explain that. Talk about an amazing staff. First of all, we don't give them a lot of options to sell. They get, okay. they get three options. Right. By the way, tell one, tell the customers it's going to take them six minutes to get their beer. Sure. <laughs> but they sure. they bought in right away, and they, they've been amazing. It does make yeah. a fun game. So people, if they're drinking five pills, they'll start to time it, the, the perfect timing of knowing when to put that next pills in. That way, at their last sip, the... The new one is placed on the table and everyone's happy. <laughs> well, it's funny too. What I people ask me a lot of times when I first got into craft beer, and I was into, I mean, I grew up in the 70s. My my buddy worked at Miller Lite. So anytime we had a party, there was a keg of Miller Lite. I got Miller Lite signs in my basement. And we were drinking Miller Lite nice. all the time. But then I advanced to Guinness. And when you go to a bar and you order a Guinness and it's there right away, you say, Well, hold it. That's not correct. You're not supposed to do that. And I became Bassett certified. I bartended for a while. And people would say, where's my Guinness? I said, they go, you only got half of it there. I go, I got three quarters of it. It'll be there soon. But you have to explain it to people. And um, it, it's it's great because when I first saw that, that's what I related it to. I said, with the Guinness, nice. you pour three quarters, you let it settle, you do it again. And at Guinness, they get crazy because it's like on a stopwatch. And it's like exact. You've got to have exact this stuff. It's time. And I've been to so many places, Italian places, Italian bars, I'm sorry, Irish bars that would, I'd order a Guinness, they bring it right up by God, damn, this isn't what I ordered. And they told us a Guinness. I would we, love to have a Guinness poured by you, Fred. Well, it was actually, I was okay. I, I couldn't do the shamrock. I wasn't good at doing the shamrock. I tried a couple of times. It didn't really look, it looked more like a weed than a, than a, than a shamrock, but it didn't, it didn't work real well. Explain real quickly if you can, because, um, I know when you were first open, I would go there and I'd hear people looking at the menu and they'd say, well, they just opened. Why is it they only have three beers? Why don't they have more? Explain to people how how long it takes to brew a lager as opposed to an IPA. Sure. I, I would say our beers average about eight to ten weeks uh, in fermenting and conditioning before we actually serve it. 
Some of our beers even longer. For example, our Oktoberfest is five months. Uh, most of our box are close to three months for okay. maturation time before we pour it. So the reason, there's two reasons why we have sort of a limited selection. Number one is we wanted to make sure not to stretch ourselves too thinly. We wanted mm -hmm. to be able to produce beers consistently so that if you visit us uh, six months later, the beer will taste just as good as it did when you had it six months ago. But the other thing is because of the long maturation time, we'd have to have like 40 tanks just to okay. have a bunch of beers on tap because what, what the beer, the original lager, for example, which is what I'm drinking, the one that is on tap was brewed two months ago. Okay. Which means that there's, there are tanks full of the one that's coming up after that. So it kind of ties up the tanks for a while. When I first got into this, I was talking to people at Goose Island and they took me through their whole um, warehouse and everything else and uh, where they were, all their barrel room. And they were telling me that the two most, well, the most important thing about brewing is making sure the tank is clean before you put something else in it. They said one little speck of bacteria can ruin everything and then you're, you're all set back. Um, but it, it's amazing because even though they're all making other things and I know you know, I know Josh Noel, he wrote the book about Goose Island and everything else and, and, and how they actually went away from, um, you know, and sold. And a lot of people thought, you know, sold out. But mm -hmm. my biggest thing with them is that it the, the respect that they have for people that brew at Budweiser, at Miller, because every single day they have to make something to taste exactly the same as it did 20 years ago. It's always got to be exactly the same. That's not easy in the, in the world of brewing. It definitely isn't. And especially when it comes to lagers, because they're not super hopped or they're mm -hmm. not covered by other major flavors they are typically not really fruited or anything like that. So even to the like not as trained palate, you can detect things that are off from batch to batch. So okay, uh, it's really hard. And I always find it funny because when I talk to my other friends in the industry, other brewers, you would think that craft brewers would be the first ones to criticize Bud or Miller because we're all about craft and small and local. But but you're absolutely right. Most of them will come to the defense of those breweries because sure. to be able to produce those beers that consistently on such a huge scale is really impressive. Now, granted, the equipment they got is like the warehouses they have and the stuff they have and the money right. they have is ridiculous. But I understand that. Uh, just a couple more things. I really appreciate you guys coming on. Um, I saw you posted something the other day. You were out and you had an Allagash White and you were <laughs> a big fan. Okay. Yes. Now, I know I tell people every once in a while, people that I know that like Blue Moon and I'll not necessarily shove them, but I'll tell them if you can't have the Blue Moon, try the Allagash White. Is, is there another couple beers? I don't want to say... I mean, technically, technically, I guess it's a craft beer, right? I mean, yeah, made from a brewery. But yeah. are there a couple other beers like that that are like people ask me what's my go-to, and a lot of times my go-to will be um, Revolution Antihero. Or, or I was at a wedding one time; they had two beers: they had Revolution Antihero and um, Pink or um, Three Floyd Zombie Dust. And I go, okay. My wife had to drive home. I said that was that was that, that was a perfect day. So if you go someplace and it's not a not a big craft place, doesn't have a lot of those kind of craft beers, what is it that you're going to order if you go to someplace else? Do you know? 
I don't. I, I, I haven't been able to drink in six months. Yeah, Allison <laughs> hasn't been drinking because we're oh, that's right. Yeah, congrats. I'm yeah. rusty on that one. <laughs> uh, I would say my go-to is actually Pacifico. Okay. I, I really like Pacifico, and then Miller High Life is also a really a favorite of ours. In fact, for Christmas, we gave everybody one of the champagne, yep. all of the staff, one of the champagne bottles of High Life. Yeah. So those are like, if I'm not doing craft, those are the are my my go tos. They're not easy to find. I remember. I mean, like I said, I tell you, I was I graduated high school in '75 and walking around with a uh, a clear a clear quart of uh, Miller High Life was like one of one of the things we did because the, the state. <laughs> ridiculously so but the state allowed us to drink at 18 so that was fine with us um you've got your original lager your pills your vienna i know i had the bohemian pilsner the maybach uh you're also made a beer just for uh the mexican restaurant down the street in downtown Downers. how's that going it's going great uh we released it was it last wednesday or two wednesdays ago i think two wednesdays ago uh and Ever since then, our original lager has always been the number one seller, but consistently since then, it's actually been our number one seller. That's great. Uh, so it's going well. We have another batch almost ready to be kegged off, but we're starting to realize we might have to be brewing a little bit more than we originally anticipated. Well, I know that um, a while back when I saw you, I can't remember what I was there to drink. It might have been the Bohemian Pilsner, but you told me how excited you were about the Maybach. What are you excited about now that's coming up? So we have a couple collabs coming up. Um, one of them is being released at our friend's brewery. You mentioned uh, Paul and Emily at Skeleton Key. We did a Hefeweizen over at their brewery. So we're really excited about that, especially... Unfortunately, that's one of Allison's favorite styles, but she can't enjoy it right now. Sure. Um, but that was an awesome time. So they'll be releasing that um, this Thursday, and then we'll release it at our tap room uh, probably a week later. Uh, we have a couple other collabs that we'll be announcing soon that we're also really excited about. But as far as beers that we're brewing, we're reviving our uh, New Zealand lager that we released okay. last year. It was one of our early seasonals. Uh, so it'll be nice and hoppy and it's funny because we always that's one of the most requested beers that we get and uh, I think the ratings on it weren't like even close to the other ones so I'm sort of surprised that people really want that beer but people keep asking when, when it's coming back so it's coming back okay what led you to what led you to keep in the cans right now as of now pretty much the same with just a different couple of colors here and there. Like the, the my box got a green and some of the other ones have different because yeah. you know, some of the cans out there, so you look at them, you have no, well, first of all, I like this because it says Goldfinger. It's the Goldfinger my box. It's real easy to figure out and <laughs> you don't have to worry too much about, I had asked Paul and Emily how they come up with some of the names for their beers. This is perfect. It's a Goldfinger my box. So it's real easy to find. So what made you come up with just this and do it, because it's great because you can recognize it right away. You don't have to say, hey, that's interesting. Oh, that's Goldfinger. You know it right away. Uh, I think it just kind of fits everything that we do. Sort of a classic brewery. That's a, that's a okay. classic way of branding. Uh, a lot of the German brands are, are very similar to that, that you can't really differentiate them. Also forced by uh, some laws in Germany, but 
Um, we just wanted to keep a really clean, simple look. And we wanted to make sure that there was a, a color difference so that you could at least tell that it wasn't the original, it was the pills. Right. Um, but beyond that, we we just kind of reserved some of our really special beers for some crazy artwork, which we did for our, our Doppelbach last yes. year. Yes, that one had a, a fire-breathing dragon, a legend from, <laughs> from Krakow on it. But beyond that, we're sticking to the the like nice clean classic look. Cool, that's great. And since you mentioned the Hefeweizen, uh, one of my favorites. Um, after the Guinness, I went to the Hackershire Vice. That was my that was my favorite. Spin in the bottle and everything else. And my wife would always say, "Are you gonna put the lemon in?" I said, "You know what? You could put the lemon in. I'll do without it." But it was still one of my favorites. And there's a lot of places. There's a place in. Uh, Hinsdale, York Tavern always has it. So I know anytime I go there, I can always get one. But that's that was one of my favorites too. So um, you know, I'm German. I found out I was three quarters German instead of just a half. So I think that uh, that I understand uh all of my hackershore love. But uh no, I can't wait for the Hefeweizen. That'll be nice. And I'm pretty sure I know where I'm gonna be on Thursday now, so that I hear that nice. they're <laughs> that they're releasing it. So that should be fun. Guys, have a great time. I really appreciate you jumping on and uh you know, you'll see me. You'll just turn around. You'll be you'll be brewing, and I'll be sitting at the bar, uh, having having a beer. So that it's a great awesome. place. Yeah, yeah. We we've come to rely on you being the first person <laughs> to drink all of our new releases. So yeah, yeah. I get, I, that's why I think I got to get to uh, Thursday. I've got to get out there for the collab. So well, I go out and see Paul and Emily and see what what time I have to get there in order to get one. So that'll be nice. Thanks that's for jumping good. on in. We'll see Thank you guys thanks soon. Thanks for having us. It's been fun. Okay. Thanks, Tom and. Allison and uh, they've done such a great job at uh, Goldfinger Brewing. I had uh, talked to a, a friend of mine, my financial guy. Why am I old, right? I got a financial guy. Paul, he's a great guy. Paul, um, Pete, I'm sorry, enough, Paul. That's what happens when you drink a few beers when you're doing the show. Pete, my buddy, and um, he lives down the street, and he said, "I'll meet you there." I, he goes, "You know, I'm not big on craft beers." I go, "You'll love this. They're lagers." And he comes in, he goes, this is awesome. I talked to him a couple of weeks later. He goes, I brought some friends with. They don't drink any of the craft beers. They're Bud Light guys or Miller guys, but they love the lagers. And that's what Goldfinger does. And so the nice part with Goldfinger, as I said, is you can get that. And then you can get some of the other stuff. Go down the street, go to Orange and Brew, go to Alter Brewing, go to Miskatonic or Skeleton Key and you can get, you know, some of the IPAs and the, the milkshake IPAs, the storm shakes and Miskatonic. You can get all that stuff. So being in Downers Grove right now and then in Nick and Ivy, we were there the other day. I had a vanilla porter. I had all kinds of great stuff there. So there's so much good beer out there. That's why I told uh, Fat Mike we had to do uh, sports and beer. And Fat Mike also said, you got to do the What's Up Fred's Can because there's always something that's pissing you off. Well, maybe it's just because you're ugly. Ugly? You gotta be kidding me. Oh, come on! Time for What's Up Fred's Can on 1252 Sports Chicago. This sounds so simple. If you're a baseball fan and you're a White Sox fan or Cubs fan, just a baseball fan in general, and you've ever played the game, yesterday there was a pop-up. The White Sox, Lucas Giolito had given up one run. I think the White Sox are one in five 
in uh, six Lucas Giolito starts, something like that. They've been struggling, and Giolito not having the season that he had hoped for right now. But there's a pop-up, and Yohan Moncada and Tim Anderson are over it. Now, Anderson's got a better angle, and Moncada's backing up for it. How hard is it for big league players to call the ball? And one guy to run away. Anderson's got his glove there. He's all ready to catch the ball. And what happens? Moncada drop, jumps back, goes off his glove, runs, scores. It's 2-0 in favor of Cleveland. The White Sox end up losing 5-0. Can't – is it that the players don't stay in the minors long enough? Probably not because when you're in Little League, you learn how to call the ball. How do they not do it in the big leagues on a nightly basis? When I'm done with this, I'll go and watch baseball around the league and I'll see guys make stupid little league mistakes. That's what baseball has become, unfortunately. The players are swinging for the fences or hitting their home runs or getting their big money. They don't know fundamentals. Hopefully the White Sox can figure it out. The umpires, twice this week, twice this week, umpires have called guys out for running out of the baseline when the players did not run out of the baseline. They absolutely did not run out of the baseline. Um, McCutcheon, the other day, they called him out saying he ran out of the baseline. He slid towards the guy making a double play. He did not come close. He stayed in the baseline. He slid to the base. Didn't make any sense. They did the same thing on a play, uh, a ball going to first base. The pitcher came over to get the ball, and he said he interfered with the runner. The runner interfered with the pitcher because he ran out of the baseline. He didn't. Are all umpires going senile? Do they need to get 20 and 25 and 30-year-old umpires and get rid of all these old men? I, I don't know what's going on, but they're worse and worse by the day. Um, the home plate, the balls and strikes, every time they put the K-zone up, I just I shake my head because it's so brutal how bad umpires are. I cannot wait for the day that they have the automated strike zone. And then the guy behind the plate will just hear in his ear, ball, strike two, strike three. He'll make the call at the plate when a guy slides in. No doubt he'll call it wrong, but, you know, Maybe he'll have get fewer calls wrong than he's getting right now. That's absolutely crazy. And one other thing, the, the Bulls are about to start. It's Monday night. The Bulls are about to start. I watch as many Bulls games as I can. What's up, Fred's can is the NBA. Who really cares? Does anybody care about the NBA? More These players play two games and then they take a day off. Oh, I can't. I can't play. Tom Thibodeau is coaching the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks are one of the surprises in the NBA. You know why? Because Tom plays the guys. He plays them longer minutes. He tries to win games. He makes them play defense. Hopefully, Billy Donovan can get this Bulls team to do the same thing. But until that happens, people say, hey, come on, LeBron's playing Durant, or come on, Brooklyn's playing such and such. Well, when Brooklyn plays, you don't know if Harden's going to play, or if Durant's going to play, or Kyrie Irving's going to play. When the Lakers play, is Antonio Davis going to be? How about LeBron? What's the point? I could do without the NBA. Not a fan. Haven't been for a long time. Love the Bulls. Love to see them get to the playoffs. I'd watch all their games, local team, but I could not care less with about the uh, NBA. And the NHL, they're finally allowing fans to go to the United Center for the final two Blackhawks games on Sunday and Monday and four Bulls games starting this Friday, uh, May 7th. After all this time, they're finally allowing people to be indoors at the United Center. I don't know what took them so long. Every other team in the NBA 
I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Every other team, I think, in the NHL had fans throughout most of the season, except um, the Chicago Blackhawks. Next year, hopefully look forward to going. I don't know who wants to go see the Blackhawks. Basically, it's a fan appreciation day for fans who were not there all season long. Unbelievable. Anyway, I keep yapping. I got to finish my Maybach in my Guinness glass. It fits all the beers. Uh, thanks to Fat Mike for jumping on in, talking about the Bears, and also thanks a lot to Tom and Allison from Goldfinger Brewing, a great, great place. I cannot wait for Thursday night. They got their collaboration, the Hefeweizen, coming out at Skeleton Key Brewing. On Thursday night, if you're there and you see me, say hi. Uh, there's a really good chance I'll be there for at least one, if not two, because I love Hefeweizen. It's an awesome beer. So thanks a lot for tuning in to uh, Hubes Views and Brews. Don't forget, if you miss it during the week on a Monday, you can always find me on Spotify. You can always find us on the YouTube channel. And don't forget to catch all of the 1252 Sports Chicago shows. They're all week long. You catch them on the YouTube channel at 1252 Chicago, 1252 Sports Chicago. Uh, thanks a lot for tuning in. Got my Rock and Roll Hall of Fame shirt on. I might go listen to some because the Hawks are down 4-1. The Bulls are about to start, but I think cranking some tunes like my guy Fat Mike does, maybe some uh, Black Sabbath or Zeppelin might be a good thing to do on a Monday night. Thanks for uh, listening. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you again next week on Hubes Views and Brews. Thanks a lot.